Hey, welcome to the Therapy Thoughts Podcast. This is Tiffany Rowe. I'm a licensed clinical mental health counselor and psychology teacher. I own Mindful Counseling in Orem, Utah, and I'm on a mission to break down mental health stigma. Therapy Thoughts is a podcast all about helping you love yourself and make peace with your mind, body, and food. I'll share some education, tips, interviews, and tools from my clinical experience so you can improve your mental health. Stay tuned as we change the mental health game and talk all about therapy. Therapy Thoughts Podcast. Today I am joined by the one and only Camille Hawkins and LCSW here in Utah, and she is going to share her expertise on infertility. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Uh, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit more for our listeners? Okay, great. So I'm a licensed clinical social worker, and I started out in the medical field and sort of transitioned my practice to infertility and perinatal mental health after I went through infertility personally. Um, Started the Utah Infertility Resource Center in 2015 and it's a nonprofit organization that provides emotional support and education to families who are wishing and struggling to grow. And I also, so, so currently I uh, am a therapist there and I also have a private practice in Draper where I see clients for all kinds of perinatal mental health issues, pregnancy loss, infertility, third-party reproduction, adoption, uh, postpartum depression, birth trauma, lots of different stuff. So that's a little bit about me. Um, I'm also um, an adoptive mom and I also have a little girl who was stillborn, so I have three little girls. Um, and I have two fur babies, two big fur babies. They are my, uh, golden doodles. I joke that I had to stop doing IVF because I got a dog after each of my (laughs) failed attempts. (laughs) So that's why I had to stop. Our house was too small and our dogs were too big. So yeah. So, uh, that's a little intro to me and, uh, what I do personally and professionally right now. AKA a real pro. I mean, you do this professionally, you have the lived experience, you started a nonprofit, and when I think of infertility expertise, you're the top of my list. And so we're really honored to have her on the podcast sharing all of this knowledge. Um, So thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. So, Yeah, I'd love to hear anything else about your story and kind of that lived experience and what got you to this point. Yeah, so I married my husband in 2009 and we wanted to start having kids pretty early on and we didn't expect that we'd have any problems, but we began running into problems getting pregnant we started dealing with some issues with pain ovarian pain and wondering what was going on do I have a cyst what you know what is happening and it was sort of at the same time that we wanted to start trying to get pregnant and so our our plans were sort of derailed for a moment while we had to go on birth control and So in the meantime, while I was kind of waiting for things to resolve so that we could get to the point where we could try, um, I went to grad school and I was really frustrated about it because I was like, no, I don't want to be in grad school right now. I want to be having a baby. But I felt like, okay, I don't want to waste this time. This is precious time, so I'm going to get my schooling done and uh, spent one of my internships at... A hospital on the OB floor and served women and children and in the NICU and I loved that population and I decided that 
that was the population I wanted to work with, but the hospital scene was just a little bit too big and crazy for me. So I wanted to move to therapy, outpatient therapy, and seeing people, uh, you know, as a as a therapist, and I could see them every week and help them with their goals and. Uh, so, so that's kind of the area that I moved into. And then I started, when we got to the point where we could start trying to conceive, um, the baby dance is what people call it. Mm. The ba- mm-hmm. You know, doing the baby dance. When we could start <laughs> TTCing, trying to conceive. Um, so I was working and we were tracking cycles, trying to... Uh, time intercourse right during ovulation and all of that fun stuff um super romantic yeah for sure (laughs) all right let's get out the temp the thermometers and Mm. charts and yeah it's super sexy (laughs) so um things weren't happening and month after month nothing happened nothing happened nothing happened so at the year mark, we went to a specialist and got evaluated, and we weren't really sure what the problem was, but we started down the road of fertility treatments, and we did a surgery, we did some IUIs, intrauterine inseminations, and then we moved on to IVF, which was super exciting because with IVF, as you know, your chances are a lot higher than any other fertility treatment. So it's really expensive, it's really intense, so we were excited and I was pretty young and a good candidate for IVF, so we we did that and we ended up having transferring two embryos and then having an early miscarriage Mm. and it was devastating we were just so heartbroken and you know we had finally made it to pregnancy and then it ended so it was it was pretty heartbreaking um so we spent about six months just kind of grieving the loss of our cycle and our embryos and trying to regain traction and then we decided that we were going to do it again and we were we were looking forward to this supercharged cycle we learned a lot from our first cycle our doctors were going to do some different Mm -hmm. things and when we did our second IVF all of our embryos died in the lab no and so we were left in an awful place feeling shocked and you know like taken advantage of by life sort of mm. you know we just spent how much money thousands and thousands of dollars and you know, like we had just gambled away all this money and nothing to show for it and we weren't any closer to our dreams of becoming parents and so we were just frustrated and sad and hurting and so my husband wanted to do another cycle and I thought you know I just can't do this again emotionally like physically the IVF process for me no big deal Mm. emotionally it was so hard and mentally and so I just thought I can't do this again knowing that our chances are probably gonna like things are probably gonna turn out similar Mm. to the same way I mean we could try we could but I just I just didn't have it in me and I felt like I at that point I knew that there were other options of becoming a parent and for me the genetic connection Although it was something that I needed to work through and grieve, it was something that I felt like that's that's something that I can easily work through and overcome because becoming a mom is 
really important to me. And so we started looking at other options, egg donation, embryo donation, adoption. I learned a whole lot um, and we ended up adopting a little girl who was born nine weeks early and she's our precious little four-year-old and she was in the NICU for a while and um, super healthy though and then ten and a half months later we adopted another little girl mm. so we have two uh, little girls and they are a lot of fun a whole lot of work and it's just definitely you know the best of times and the worst of times yes. in terms of okay this is hard stuff yes <laughs> taking care of kids day after day hour after hour needs and managing all that but at the same time it's like wow there are some really beautiful wonderful moments as well um so yeah so that's kind of where we were at until about a year ago and we randomly found ourselves unexpectedly pregnant we were totally shocked unreal um because it we'd been married for nine years at that point and it had been many years that we had not um you know had any type of prevention in terms of pregnancy and so we were like what the heck okay right. so just totally caught off guard and baffled and also just trying to wrap our heads around okay wait is this gonna happen like are we gonna actually have a baby or is this gonna end you know because of course we were so nervous about miscarriage and you know from the get-go I thought well you know this I don't know how this is going to end but I'm gonna do my best to try and cherish every moment that I can because I don't know if it's going to last I don't know if this baby is going to be miscarried or if I'm gonna be able to take this baby home um, and as the time went on things uh, looked good and looked better and looked healthy and everything was going really really well and we were getting the nursery ready and we were expecting to have a third little girl in our home and one night I didn't feel her move as much and uh, listened to her heartbeat on a home Doppler and it sounded good but I was concerned because I didn't feel her move as much and so we went in and by the time we got to the hospital she had died and as you can imagine we were just so shocked and devastated how could this happen how could we have gotten pregnant miraculously everything went well and then at 31 weeks which is the same gestation as our other daughter was born at, she died. How could this happen? And so here I am in a hospital with a pregnant belly, never have given birth before, but I am a parent. I'm a social worker who has worked on the OB floor and has helped other women through stillbirths. And here I am trying to wrap my head around what has just happened. And my doctor is asking me about inducing and what do we want to do. So it was obviously, you know, a heartbreaking, emotional experience. And uh, in terms of being in the world professionally, I, I, have, I had a number of tools that I knew about because I had helped so many other people through it and so I was really grateful for those tools that I had it didn't make it easier to right. go through um, but it allowed me to maybe have those tools to access um, 
creating a beautiful healing experience mm. in the midst of such tragedy. So I it's been um about six and a half months since we gave birth to Everly and we, my husband was right behind me physically in the bed. He sat in the bed and I sat basically right in front of him and he had his arms around me and his legs around me and we did it together. Mm. And um, we gave birth to this beautiful little girl and dark curly hair just like my husband and um, just a perfect little angel and we learned that it was the umbilical cord. And so, you know, of course, all of the experiences of grief and loss are coming to us and all we can do is um, choose to either move through that grief and loss or avoid it and we know I know as you know professionally that avoiding it um, isn't helpful that is that is going to keep coming the only way to to deal with it is to face it and so um so that's kind of what I'm actively doing in my life um right now doing the best that I can to continue loving our daughter and um allow myself to feel all of the feels that come up and also to find ways to mourn Mm. her and Grieving is the physical, the physical things that we feel and the emotional and mental things that we experience. But mourning is actually the outward expression, mm-hmm. and so that's what we can do to sort of work through our grief. So that's kind of where I'm at, and um, still actively grieving and mourning, like. The worst nightmare, the worst tragedy I'm sure you could imagine. Yep. Yep. I'm there's no words. And thank you for being vulnerable with this audience and sharing your humanness and this grief. I feel your love for her. Mm-hmm. I feel the power and that connection and your just raw emotion. Yeah. Thank you. I've definitely experienced a lot the last six months and I knew things on some level professionally and I felt like I don't need to go through losing my daughter to be a good therapist. I don't need to go through this to, to have empathy. But at the same time, um, I my eyes have been opened mm. in sort of a new way. Like an example would be stillbirth is one in 160 pregnancies um, or, or, or births, one in 160 births. Um, one out of 160 will be stillborn. And before, that is just a number. That's just a percentage. That's one of those things that you just hear about that you're like, oh, yeah, that happens to somebody else. It's, of course, it's your worst nightmare, but you think, okay, but, you know, I, I hope it will really never happen to me. But then when it happens, and then you're in this world, and then you see how many other parents have lost babies and how each individual baby had this story Mm. and just how impactful each of these little souls are to these families and you know I have connected with families in a different way now and so I see it from a different a different lens through a different lens a different perspective and it's not a number anymore it's not um, yeah this this is 
this is what I see at my job. It's like, wow, this is what I'm living in my life. Mm-hmm. And, and the close friends and the close connections that I have made um, through some of these support systems are just so valuable in, in helping me know, you know, this process of what I'm going through is a normal reaction to a really sad thing. Yes. That's accurate empathy that no one would ever wish, wish to learn. Yeah. There's a lot of lessons you're sharing just in that, like what you've realized and what you can teach people from that or how you're connecting with families. Um, and so I'm grateful you're willing to share that story and teach us about infertility today. Um, does it feel okay to shift into kind of describing some of those lessons and educational components for folks? Absolutely. Let's do it. Um, give us kind of, yeah, give us the infertility 101 scoop. Okay. So infertility, um, the definition is an inability to conceive after... 12 months of intercourse and there are other things that sort of fall into the category of infertility as well if you if the female partner is 35 or older then that time is reduced to six months or if you have a known medical condition you were born without a uterus let's say you know, you don't have to try for 12 months to know that you're going to struggle right. with infertility. Um, and then also sometimes pregnancy, recurrent pregnancy loss can fall into the category. Some people don't like to identify as being infertile because they say, I can get pregnant, but it's not, infertility is not being able to have a live birth. And so even if somebody has that recurrent pregnancy loss, they can fall into that category. Um, Also LGBT couples who are wanting to have children, they may not identify as being infertile or struggling with infertility, but many of them access some of the family building Uh, fertility treatments or adoption treatments that um, are available and so so those are kind of the different uh, sort of general situations of you know infertility what it is not everybody identifies with Mm -hmm. it but in general it's this issue of people want to have kids and they're struggling to make it happen and there's a whole spectrum of that and a variety of ways that people go about that and so there's a lot of specifics we can go into um can you tell us about the different types of infertility interventions or losses yeah so so i'll just start out talking about a, a little bit with like the cause because people always want to know well, what's not working, mm. right? What's not working? What's wrong? Or what can we fix? Or how can we intervene to um, to make things happen? So the literature and the research tell us that a third of the cause of infertility is female factor, a third is male factor, and then a third is combined or unexplained. Mm. So that's really eye-opening for a lot of people to know that um, it's not, you know, just women. Right. People, yeah, people for a long time thought, oh, if, if there's fertility problems, it's the woman. But research shows that no, anybody can struggle with fertility issues and uh, men and women struggle um in about equal amounts so so that's important and then in terms of fertility sometimes we don't know exactly like what the cause is and even the doctors who are like so knowledgeable they um they know so much sometimes 
they still can't figure it out and sometimes things change and so it's not an exact science which makes it really complicated but in general there's a spectrum of fertility where on one end someone is super fertile and you know they could get pregnant you know pretty quickly pretty easily and then on the other side of the spectrum is sterile where you have zero chance and most people are in between um, and so sometimes when people are infertile it doesn't necessarily mean that they're sterile it doesn't mean that they couldn't get pregnant without intervention or they couldn't get pregnant with enough um, months and years of trying we 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 don't know it, it everybody's a little bit different so when somebody is struggling with infertility we don't know if you're going to be the one that <clears throat> ends up getting pregnant one day unexpectedly or we don't know if you're the one that's going to um you know be super fertile like there's there's it's it's hard to predict and so that makes it really hard when people start struggling with infertility and they start not being able to and they start worrying about okay is this going to be a problem for us because the reality is that yeah it could be next month or it could be years and years and years or it could never happen like mm -hmm. we don't know right. and so you know it is important to consult with specialists and it can be very helpful to get as many answers as possible but sometimes even when you have all of the tests done there aren't always answers mm. which can be really hard yes where do people kind of begin you know if it's been a year so oftentimes people will go to their doctor and say, hey, we want to get pregnant. We're struggling to get pregnant. It's not happening. Um, one myth is that you need a referral to go to a reproductive endocrinologist. But in the world that we live in, um, for a variety of reasons, probably insurance is a big one I uh, at least in Utah you don't need a referral and so you can go to an infertility specialist a reproductive endocrinologist is the term um, sort of their specialty their OBGYN trained and then they go on to specialize in their um, fellowships but you can go at any time you can go without a referral and so that can be really helpful information because many times people feel like, oh, I'm gonna need to climb up the chain first. I'm gonna need to start with you know, my, my OBGYN and go from there. You can, or you can start with a reproductive endocrinologist. Either is just fine. Um, the first sort of line of defense is ovulation meds. Um, it sort of depends on what the diagnosis is or what what your medical picture is is looking like, but that's usually the least invasive. And then the next would be intrauterine insemination, or some people call it artificial insemination, where they take a sperm sample and they put it through a catheter straight up to the uterus. So it um, is sort of bringing the sperm as close to the egg at the time of ovulation and they work with ultrasound and monitoring your cycles to to get that timing right and so then from there in vitro fertilization is the next step where eggs are removed from ovaries and in a lab fertilized and grown to day three or five usually is the standard and then transferred back to the uterus 
in hopes that the embryo will implant and a pregnancy will result. And from that point, there are a lot of other sort of little aspects that could be added, like there's ICSI, which is um, something that, you know, if there's a sperm issue, they can take the sperm and inject it directly to the egg to aid in fertilization. <clears throat> That's actually what me and my spouse had to do. Really? IVF with ICSI, and they had to laser the zona Mm-hmm. off of the embryo because it was like too thick yeah and I that's really when I was like whoa science there's <laughs> so many levels to this that yeah. we're just not aware of as the general public right so yeah it can get really complicated and which with each of those different layers is of course more money and you can even freeze the embryos at day five if they're um, strong enough and right before they freeze them, they can biopsy them, take a few cells, and look at the karyotype of the cells to see if the DNA has the right number of chromosomes that would result in a baby. <clears throat> There's a lot of time, a lot of times miscarriages happen because of chromosomal abnormalities. And so you can, if you, let's say you had five embryos, you biopsied them, it looks like two of them have all of the chromosomes, then you can choose to transfer those two for a higher probability of success and getting to your goal of having a child, having a family. So it's really cool, it's really complex, but at the same time, it's not an exact science and there's still a lot that we don't know so they can do a lot but there are still limits right what happens then well I mean hopefully you get pregnant right but sometimes people don't and if they don't then they start running into, okay, do we just keep doing this forever? We're running out of money. We're running out of time. We're running out of the mental and emotional energy that this takes. What are our goals here? Mm. And so we have to look at sometimes the other options of parenting. Um, we live in a day and age where there are other options, which is really, really cool because a hundred years ago, if you couldn't have a baby, your options were pretty limited in terms of parenting. And so there are a few aspects of infertility that I help people look at when they're, look, when they're trying to make decisions in terms of what route should they go, should they start down another path. Um, we look at the loss of the joint connection uh, of... Um, you you and your life partner making a child if if you don't have a child together you're going to miss out on that so that's something that is a major loss people fall in love with their partner they dream about having a baby together and think about you know are they going to have her smile and her characteristics or you know his hair or her sense of humor so people kind of develop their reproductive story it happens early on and but then as we continue on in building a relationship with a loved one oftentimes that reproductive story continues to grow and we have in our mind consciously or subconsciously an idea of what things are going to be like so when that doesn't happen it's a pretty intense thing to face the reality that we might not get this, we might not have this opportunity. Um, or passing on genetics. So my husband comes from uh, the Native American tribe, um, Creek Nation, Muscogee, um, the Muscogee tribe. And so we had thought about what it would be like having 
an Indian baby and are we going to get the baby registered in the tribe and you know what what is that going to look like in terms of heritage but when we were faced with infertility we had to look at the reality that that might not happen Mm, that loss of that that dream and that life and what that meant and when people talk about their ancestors Mm. well if I can't pass on my genetics then any children that I have their ancestors are not going to be mine Mm. and so it's sort of the loss of linking past and future uh, missing out on that Uh, People also have a lot of emotional connection to experiencing pregnancy. There's a lot of things associated with that, feeling the baby move, feeling like um, it's kind of a rite of passage for being a woman, Um, breastfeeding, giving birth, all of those aspects, the physical and emotional experiences of that. So if if that doesn't happen, either a female partner, a female experiencing it or a male watching maybe your partner go through that, obviously is different depending on um on if it's a single person trying to conceive or a couple or LGBT or whatever but um, you know watching your partner go through that um, feeling putting your hand on the belly and feeling the baby kick you know you're going to miss out on that Um, and then we look at cost because infertility treatments are expensive Adoption can be very expensive. And then time. A lot of people are saying, hey, I'm not getting any younger. I don't want to be 70 years old and, you know, taking my kid to their kindergarten graduation. Like, there's there's a time limit on this. Like, we got to get going. And then also the emotional tool. Um, but all of that kind of comes we kind of take all of that with the last aspect of loss, which is the ability to be a parent. Mm. And are there other avenues that you are open to? Is your desire to be a parent stronger than those other areas of loss? Mm. If it is, then we can look at other options. If it's not, then that's okay. And yes. we can look at um, finding a uh, meaningful, purposeful life and building that um, without children. Yes. And that can be very beautiful too. Um, if people decide, no, I do want to parent and uh, I, I want to find another way, then we look at, okay, how do we get a baby? Well, you need three things to make a human being. You need a sperm, you need an egg, and you need a uterus. So, you can start with your situation. Well, what do you have that is working well? If it, if you know that it's an egg issue, or if you know that it's a sperm issue or a uterus issue, you might be able to utilize donor conception. So a donor egg, a donor sperm, or donor embryo even, which would be um, uh, an embryo created from usually a couple who has already done IVF and they're done building their family and they could donate that to you. So using other genetics or if you need a uterus and that's the missing piece, finding someone who will be a gestational carrier or a surrogate for you. Um, So there are all sorts of different options in terms of third-party reproduction that people can engage in. And we look at the areas of loss, and they can still have sometimes um, access to becoming a parent and having, let's say, a pregnancy. Maybe they won't have that genetic connection or that jointly conceived child, but there will be a lot of things that they still do 
get to experience. Yeah. And so it is all about weighing those different areas of loss and which are most important and the ones that we feel like maybe I could let go of, they're still areas that we need to pay attention to and give time to because we have to grieve those. We developed this reproductive story and at each point of, okay, this didn't, this isn't going how I expected is a detour. And so infertility is a detour. Um, Let's emphasize that it's a detour of your reproductive story. Yeah. And people thinking about what that reproductive story is and the implications of the hiccups or the way that those detours have impacted them. I mean, that's a lot of therapeutic work. That's an emotional, that's emotional trauma. That's a grief experience. I mean, looking at that way is really powerful. Yeah. So at any point, a detour takes a lot of mental and emotional energy to come to grips with and then just figure out, okay, well, where do we go from here? Yeah. And sometimes the where do I go from here, you don't always have control over the next step, right? So you could do all that's in your power to try and get pregnant. And at the end of the day, it doesn't always happen. Yeah. So it's a really, really difficult thing. And when I share with couples who are feeling like, hey, this is, this is crazy. Like, I don't know why I'm experiencing all of these intense emotions. Like, I shouldn't be going through all of this anxiety and all of this depression. Like, it's just infertility. And I share with them about the human needs that we have. And Maslow is a psychologist that developed a theory called the hierarchy of needs and there are various levels of needs and if you've taken a psychology class then you're probably familiar with this theory and we look at the very most basic level of human needs which are water and shelter and food and Maslow includes sex at that level because it's an evolutionary requirement to of survival to further the human race and so even though above on the on the hierarchy of needs love and belonging esteem self-actualization these other things that are can be really important and definitely part of parenting the reason I think it hits people to their core and shakes them so hard is because it is evolutional evolutionary part of being a human mm. and it's ingrained in our DNA and so combine that with the reproductive story and your culture and society and wow if things aren't happening the way that you expected, it can be devastating. Yeah. Do you, I mean, trauma. Trauma, reproductive trauma is yeah. what we call it. Yeah. Stored in our body, real, psychological, physical, grief, mourning the whole package. Like, this is a traumatizing experience for folks. And I think so often there's this dismissal or lack of awareness or lack of acknowledgement of that. Yeah. And folks who struggle are left devastated with you know, feeling broken, feeling shame, feeling like moral failures or something. Yeah. And it's hard when some of these experiences are pretty common, like miscarriage. It's a pretty common experience. So does that mean that it doesn't matter or that it's not important? You know, it's... It's on the same loss list that you described. I mean, that's a loss, a grieving what could have been, that life, all those dreams. Yeah. Um, 
Absolutely. We got to do better. We got to talk about this stuff. Yeah. So even though miscarriage is common, it can be a deep, impactful event. It isn't always. Some people are like, oh, yeah, that happened. Okay, no big deal. Whatever. That's just what happens. It just depends on the person. But to some people, miscarriage is extremely impactful and devastating and traumatic. And yeah, there are various losses along the spectrum in terms of, you know, loss of a dream, a little bit more abstract to, well, your embryos died in the lab. Those were living embryos created between two people and they died and they could have turned into a human being but they didn't Mm. or you transferred an embryo and it didn't take meaning it died inside your body or you miscarried um, or you had a pregnancy and a baby didn't develop that's one thing that I see sometimes people really struggling with like I'm grieving this miscarriage but a baby never grew so how do I grieve the loss of this experience when there was no baby Mm. Um, and then and then as the baby grows you know further on um, to late miscarriage and then at 20 weeks you hit stillbirth if the baby is not born alive or infant death if the baby is born alive and right now science anywhere between about 23 to 25 weeks is where babies can start surviving outside of the womb but there are a lot of babies who are born early and they're they're born too early to make it and and they die or you know sometimes there's a genetic anomaly and the baby dies and so all of these things are are so difficult and from my experience I had a stillbirth and I had a miscarriage and it I couldn't help but reflect on how different those experiences were but how it was so much easier for me to grieve the loss of my daughter because she was real, because Mm. I had pictures of her, because I had a name, because people were bringing me casseroles, you know, like, but for my miscarriage, it was invisible. I wasn't sharing it with everybody. I didn't have a name. Like, I didn't have anything to bury Mm. or, you know, so it was this ambiguous loss that was really difficult to figure out how to work through. And so it's, so I, I, I wrote, um, uh, an article called miscarriage or stillbirth, which is harder. And I, and I share about, well, you know, it's, it's maybe not what's harder, but it's, um, every, everybody's experience is different. Um, but also, um, invisible loss can be extremely painful. Um, not having the ability to acknowledge it or have ways to to grieve and mourn. Um, There's a lack so, of support with the invisible, a sense of aloneness. I mean, yeah, that lack of tangible, like yeah. you're saying, a name. And people even discount it in themselves. They say, right. oh, well, it was just a miscarriage, so I shouldn't feel you know, I shouldn't feel this way, so I'm going to bury it and um, bury it emotionally. Um, And then they continue to feel awful and they continue to feel confused because they have all of these things coming up and it doesn't match up with their cognitive understanding of, well, this was just a miscarriage. So... I see that all the time, people downplaying their own experiences and trying to say, well, this wasn't a big deal when their body and their emotions are telling them it it is and it was. So let's take a moment and validate that as two therapists, as experts in the field, trauma is not caused by events. 
and your experience is valid. If you've had a miscarriage and your body and heart grieves and aches, that is valid. And it is okay to grieve that. And our perceptions and our beliefs influence what is traumatizing to us, not events in and of itself. And honoring your experience, I hope that's a takeaway from this today. And you've touched on a lot of different types of loss and it is valid wherever it is on the spectrum. Yeah. Let's give folks some tips. Okay. If they are dealing with infertility, top three tips for folks. For folks. Okay. So um, one tip would be to figure out a way to share and be open about your experience. So initially people are very embarrassed and uncomfortable sharing, which is totally understandable. But what can happen is the feelings of isolation and depression then come on. And it can be very powerful and very helpful for people to find a healthy outlet to share their experience and to be open. It doesn't mean that you have to share on social media. It doesn't mean that you have to share with all of your friends and family. It could mean that you join a support group and you find others who are going through similar things and you share there. Um, it could be that you start sharing in a journal. It could be, um, you know, as it, it could be as basic as that. But starting somewhere and being open and sharing has provided. Uh, beautiful outlets and a lot of relief for a lot of the clients that I see. Um, let me jump in and plug the Utah Infertility Resource Center. When I was going through my own trauma of infertility, I could not, I could not have gotten through it without your support groups. The online Facebook support groups, the in-person support groups were a game changer. Just that connection and getting out of that isolation and not being alone, I mean, I can't recommend it highly enough. Yeah. There, there are, there is support out there and uh, you need to look for it, but it's there and it can be a game changer. Um, I would say the next one is just that the experience is difficult, just as we've been talking about throughout this podcast um, give yourself time give yourself validation uh, give yourself a break uh, this stuff is really really hard and a lot of people don't want to acknowledge it because they don't want to admit that this is real that this is the world that they're in but it's okay it's okay to acknowledge that this is hard it might hurt and I think that's the fear of acknowledging it is the it's painful yeah but I think what people experience is that you can only push it away for so long you can't bury this you can't keep I mean it doesn't just go away by ignoring no. it um, I'll add kind of my my real experience whatever that is it's normal you feel rage feel it you can't go to church one week because it's too hard that's okay you can't go to a baby shower, get your own back. You got to skip out on family dinner, it's okay. Having permission to be disturbed, having permission to really feel hurt without the added guilt and shame. Like, I should be able to be 100% in my life. I hope we can take away that pressure and have permission to go through this because it's really hard, like Camille said. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Give yourself permission. And people want to attend all of the family gatherings and baby showers and holiday celebrations. But when you're going through infertility, all of the triggers take so much emotional energy. And so give, you, give yourself a break, just like Tiffany is saying. Um, it's okay to say no, it's okay. What I did when I was invited to baby showers I felt like I don't want to not show my support for this friend that I love, but the baby shower of like 
all these presents and getting together and talking about due dates and births and all of that stuff was too much for me. So what I did is I would reach out to my friend and I'd say, hey, as you know, I'm going through infertility right now. Going to a baby shower is going to be too much for me, but I would love to take you out to lunch. Mm, cool. And we did that and it was beautiful. And they all said, you know, thank you so much. And oh, this was, this was such a nice lunch and it wasn't a triggering thing. It, it brought us closer as friends. Awesome. So it can be hard, um, but give yourself that permission. And then the last thing I would say is um, if you're dealing with infertility within a partnership, know that your coping style is going to be different. And it's probably going to be very different. And there's a lot of clashes that can happen, but coming to terms with and learning about your partner's coping style can really help you understand that they do care. Um, they're just dealing with it in a different way. Um, and they're not crazy. <laughs> <laughs> we laugh because we hear this. We felt this. We hear this in our rooms that, yeah, navigating how you and your partner grieve or, uh, you know, go through the infertility experience. It's, it's a rocky road. Yeah. Those are great tips. Can we um, finish up with maybe some a couple tips for those who want to support people in their lives with infertility? So folks who aren't themselves struggling, but AKA, how do we how do we tell people not to be buttholes to people who are dealing with infertility? <laughs> yeah, it's really hard to uh, teach that. <laughs> how do we teach empathy and awareness to something that's not on everyone's radar? Like. We get it, right? Unless you understand something, it's not on your radar. Yeah. So we just want to create awareness and top tips like, hey, here's how to be cool to people who are suffering. Yeah. So it is tricky because everybody's a little bit different and you don't know what people's triggers are going to be. But in general, um, avoid cliches. People are uncomfortable with silence and people are uncomfortable with sadness and difficult situations. So we want to say something to make it better. But saying something isn't going to make it better. There are no words that make it better. So for me, from my perspective, what you can do is show. Show that you care about them. You can say, hey, I know you're going through a hard time, I want you to know that I care about you, that I love you, and that I'm here for you. Please tell me, how can I support you? And listen if they want to talk. If they don't want to talk, don't push them. But just being a solid support in terms of, hey, I'm here for you, I love you, I care about you, I'm not going to give you false hope and tell you like it'll work out one day because maybe it won't. I'm not going to tell you maybe it, you know, maybe it will happen if you do this or do that, you know, stand on your head after you have sex <laughs> or all this. Well, guess what? What if it doesn't? Um, or, hey, well, you know, at least you this or, you know, at least you get to have all of this special time with your spouse right now. There are no silver linings or um, cliches that will help that person. What will help that person is the unconditional love and support and giving that person the time and space to define their own journey. Yes. And make sense of their own story we don't have to fix it it's inappropriate to fix it it's invalidating to try to fix it and what would it be like for folks to just say that freaking sucks yeah. that's so painful oh my gosh i'm here for you yeah and if you don't know what to say say i don't know what to say yeah but let me give you a hug yeah or something like 
you can't make it better but the love the connection the connection of hey i'm here for you and you i i care about you i'm looking out for you i know i can't fix this but you can rely on me in terms of being a, a listener if that's what you want i'm not going to tell you any like stupid uh or platitudes platitudes or you know advice um and I, I would say maybe that's one more thing is a lot of times people want to help right so when we think people are being buttholes they think they're being helpful right (laughs) they think well no like my sister took this magical potion and then she got pregnant so if i tell you about this then maybe it will help you and so really what i would say is we do want people saying supportive things but also to the people who are struggling with infertility it can be painful and hurtful to hear some of the dumb things and insensitive things that people say. But if you know and if you can see that they are saying it from a place of love and saying it from a place of wanting to be helpful, then it can be really powerful to acknowledge that and say, you know, thank you and then provide some education. Mm. Um, you know, well, yeah, thank you for that hope, but, um, my husband doesn't have any sperm, so no matter how hard we try, like, (laughs) it's not going to work, you know, like, I'm going to educate you a little bit. Uh, I, I, you can respond, um, in an educational way, you can respond in a funny way, you can respond, you know, by putting it in their face, like, well, you know, yeah, we're going to hopefully have a baby nine months from five minutes ago and yeah, you know, try exactly. to make them uncomfortable. There's lots <laughs> of different ways that you can respond. Obviously, you, you respond based on uh, what's best for you. But what I have found helpful for me is, you know, people are trying. People are, they want to be helpful. Yes. They're doing the best that they can. So yes. I'll acknowledge that, but also provide them the education of what would be helpful. Yeah. We don't want to villainize people who say the wrong thing. It's like people are doing their best and it's on us. It's our responsibility to teach people our boundaries, what we're okay with, how to treat us, how to respond. I mean, so no shame in this game. Like if you, I've said dumb stuff to people, we all have, and it's, it's learning, right? It's learning as we go. So it's a great tip. Um, dude, thank you for being here and sharing your expertise and your story. You're welcome. Why don't you tell folks where they can find you, you know, your website, social media handles, anything yeah. so they can follow up with you. So, um, my website is camillehawkins.com. I see clients in Draper and Mill Creek. And, you know, even though I'm a millennial, I'm, I am on social media, but I'm a little bit behind. <laughs> You're too busy, like, doing real life I, I'm stuff. a little bit busy, so, you know, like, I'm not as up-to-date on social media as a lot of the other millennials these days, but, you know, um, I'm happy to um, to help you if it's something, you know, cons- consulting with, you know, over the phone, or if you think I could help you. Um, individually and you live in Utah great Um, I also am connected to a lot of great therapists across the country so if you're looking for a great provider I might be able to help you find one in your area Um, and I speak and present on various topics you know from perinatal mood disorders infertility stillbirth adoption you know, all of it. So, yeah, if I can be of help or a resource to you, please connect with me. I'd be happy to to connect. And, um, yeah, find me at CamilleHawkins.com. Yeah. Here's a little peer pressure. I hope to get you back on the podcast to talk about maternal mental health, yeah. perinatal mood disorders. Absolutely. We got to cover that too. I mean, there's just not enough time. An hour for infertility is silly. Like we need, we need time here. So 
I hope you can come back and Kay. teach us more. Yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. Well, thank you. Yep. I appreciate you tuning in and supporting the Therapy Thoughts podcast. If you want to dive deeper into intuitive eating and body image and self-love, head over to tiffanyrow.com. It's the hub of all of my courses, the podcast, my merch, and information about doing counseling and coaching with me. I hope you guys stick around for more. We have lots of exciting interviews and thought leaders coming onto the podcast. So until next time, may you be well.